Today from the Global Lane, flattening the curve and targeting the World Health Organization for COVID-19 pandemic mismanagement and untruths. Improving it, my goodness, it needs a lot of work. A volatile market shakes stocks and 401ks. Time to get out? College students struggling from the shutdown. Their schools get billions in coronavirus relief aid. So why are tuitions going up? And totalitarian-like tactics forced on citizens and churches. What about the Bill of Rights? And it's all right here on the Global Lane. There's some good news about the COVID-19 pandemic. It appears that the number of new infections is slowing worldwide. So what should we do now to reopen the U.S. economy, but also proceed with steps that would prevent a major new outbreak? Well, here with us is microbiologist Dr. Dean Hart. Dr. Hart is an expert on the transmission of viruses and diseases. For 25 years, he taught as an associate research scientist and assistant professor at Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons. Dr. Hart, thank you for being here. First, let's take a look at what's happening globally with this pandemic. Two million cases worldwide, at least 130,000 deaths, but it looks like this pandemic peaked on April 10th. Is the worst behind us? Your thoughts? Well, this is a very artificial peak. We've closed down the world to business and socialization. What we've done is close the churches, the schools, and everything else. So logic dictates with that, the only thing in our public health armamentarium that it would slow things down not halt them, but slow things down. We still have to go get food and things like that, but it will slow things down, but it's hardly the fix. Well, I know the president is suspending U.S. support payments to the World Health Organization because of its mishandling of the viral outbreak. So what do you think about that and China's dishonesty about the viral outbreak in Wuhan? Well, uh, China is not honest. They're a communist country. You wouldn't expect them to be honest. So I don't think anything of it except they're uh, communists and I'm a capitalist and we are much more an open society with autonomy, freedom, and all the great things that we get from our constitution. That China isn't honest? So <laughs> you would have thought they were. <laughs> now, to the World Health Organization, that's a huge problem because it is too political and it is beholden to certain countries more than others. And the U.S. generally likes to be in charge of everything since we're the richest. Now, the World Health Organization plays a vital role in many areas and you just can't close it down. We know we certainly need a better World Health Organization, a more honest, transparent one. We need one that reports stuff like this much more freely and accurately and get the politics out of it. When the World Health Organization played the pandemic card, it was with the approval of all the politicians telling them, yeah, now it's okay. They have to get away from politics and be a scientific organization more so. But the World Health Organization helps the poor and needy. The United States does not need the WHO. The United States has all the resources and science at their disposal. The problem is the WHO does wonderful things in Mozambique and 
and with Ebola. So it's necessary, but it needs a whole lot of improvement. De defunding it and disbanding it is not the answer, but improving it, my goodness, it needs a lot of work. And here in the U.S., did we start mitigation early enough, in your opinion? Dr. Fauci said when he requested that the president move forward with mitigation, he didn't hesitate. He did it. And it seems like mitigation has worked. So your thoughts on that? Okay, mitigation. Dr. Fauci's a scientist like myself. He said the sooner you do mitigation, the better. Well, any scientist can say that. If you have one case, you can close down the world and start mitigating, and the outcome will be better. But hindsight is 2020. In reality, you have to have enough of an epidemic to make it worthwhile to react and then start closing and self-quarantine and closing things down. So at what point you turn the switch to off and 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 do what we're doing, which obviously works to a great extent, it, it, but it, it, it eliminates the economy of the world. It, it, it's a horrible thing. One of the main things in life for healthy psyche is socialization, be it a church, be it a, a senior center. It is horrible to close things down. On the other hand, do we close it down the exact right day? That's for the historians in 20 years to decide. It seems, though, that a lot of these computer models about the virus were wrong. I recall one that predicted as many as half a million deaths here in the USA. Another predicted 100 to 250,000. So what happened with that? Well, when we locked down the society, those models went out the window for, I think I saw about two and a half million Americans would die from this alone, which is probably twice the amount of people that die normally in the U.S. So when we locked down everything, stopped the economy, stopped the world, put everybody in a bubble, sort of, then the computer models have to be changed because we're not functioning as we were. Now the question is, how do we open it up? Two months ago, three months ago, we should have had these masks, and we should have been walking out with them because people didn't know if they were sick. And the masks are incredibly valuable for the asymptomatic viral carriers that are affecting everybody. Step number two is getting the proper tests so we know who's positive, who's negative. Even if you want to, you've got to have a fever here in New York because there's a shortage of tests. You would think by now there wouldn't be a shortage of tests. But if you can test, have billions of tests within the country, do it in the privacy of your own home will be in the future. That's really the two things. We've got to test like crazy so we know both serologically and nasal swab. And we've got to be able to protect our face so that we can't innocently hurt others. Okay, Dr. Dean Hart, we thank you for your time and insights today. God bless you. You too. After the S&P 500 reached an all-time high in February, it hit multi-year lows in March. Plunging oil prices and the COVID-19 epidemic are causing volatility and fluctuations in global markets. So what does it mean for you? Perhaps the future of your 501k and other investments. I know some people are probably saying, hey, I'm just trying to keep my job or pay my bills after a temporary furlough from work. 
Well, here to provide us with some insights is Art Alley. Mr. Alley is founder and president of Timothy Plan, the nation's leading biblically-based pro-life, pro-family mutual fund group. Art, it's good to have you with us. So the bills are piling up for many people. Uh, people are digging into savings, probably have depleted them. What do you recommend? What should they do now? Number one, stay calm. Uh, it's amazing how quickly we can panic. Uh, not that this is not a serious situation, it is, and I'm not downplaying that. But in our business, you know, in the investment arena, uh, all we can do is counsel people to relax. Uh, whenever we see them wringing their hands, thinking they've lost their entire savings and fortune, uh, unfortunately, that may be the case uh, in, in some cases if they have a very small amount. But as it pertains to 401ks, uh, it really doesn't matter uh, in, in reality what the markets are doing. As long as you don't sell after the kind of crash we, we've experienced. And all you have to do is turn the clock back to a much different time, but very similar in market action, to 2008. Our shareholders uh, got really nervous, and they should have in 2008, uh, because that was a time we, uh, this economy was on quicksand. Today, the economy is on a solid rock. But nobody lost money in 2008 if they didn't panic and sell and pull it out. When you do that, you will never be able to recover. So let's so look at long term. Course, is that is that the well? Uh, you know, a week is long term anymore in this this instant <laughs> gratification world we live in. Yeah. However, uh, you know, you just stay the course, and, and it'll all balance its way up because the underlying economy is still powerfully strong. Well, I was going to ask you, what do you see happening then in the months ahead? Are we headed for a depression because of this or are things going to we're going to see an upturn? Well, the major media would have you uh, believe uh, it's a depression. They're looking for any negative news they can find. Uh, from my perspective, first, I don't know. I, you know, my wife says I'm frequently wrong, but never in doubt. Uh, but I can't see the future. However, I do know that this economy is the strongest it's ever been, not just my 40-year career, but my lifetime. And true, when you shut down a nation, it is going to have a, a, an effect where it's going to take a little longer to recover. But when you think about it, Gary, when you think about it, this nation is not fully shut down. I mean, our operation, we're following the rules and the guidelines. Everybody is working from home, but they're working. And Art, uh, I know a lot of Christians, when they're looking to make investments, they're wondering, okay, am I getting involved with a company that is not moral? I want to make biblically-based investments. Uh, I don't want to be involved in things like abortion. I don't want companies that are supporting a radical gay agenda or uh, even anti-Israel things. Uh, so what's your advice on that? Well, uh, that's why we exist. Uh, we refuse to own companies that, for lack of a better term, are pursuing an unholy agenda. And I don't know if you've ever, if you know who Kevin Freeman is, but this guy is one of the top economists in the country and an expert on, on financial warfare that we're faced from our enemies abroad.
Kevin said this, if you are not carefully screening as a Christian, the money God has entrusted to you in your investments, you could inadvertently be funding your own destruction. Why would we want to own companies, shares of companies that are involved in things like abortion or pornography? And the answer is we don't, but we do the heavy lifting. We do the heavy research. All of our funds are managed by top tier money managers. What we do here is we do the research and documentation that produces a list of companies we tell them you cannot own for Timothy. When you invest in Timothy, you will not own companies that are funding the downfall of America through, through uh, an unholy agenda. Well, thank you so much, Art Alley. We appreciate you, Timothy Plan. God bless you, thanks for your time. The COVID-19 pandemic caused colleges and universities to close their doors and shift to online classes. Although costs remain the same for most colleges, many students are experiencing hardship because of the shutdown. Regardless, many American colleges and universities are actually hiking tuition for the 2020-2021 school year. Well, here to set us straight on this is Cabot Phillips. Mr. Phillips is editor-in-chief at Campus Reform. Cabot, it's good to have you on the program again. Now, I know campuses are eerily vacant right now. I saw some video of my alma mater, the University of Michigan. Nobody on campus. It's hard to imagine not seeing anyone cross the quad or go to the student union. And even Ann Arbor looks like a ghost town. So universities should be reforming or refocusing their efforts at this time. But many are hiking tuition. So what's going on? Yeah, so around the country, universities from everywhere in Texas, Massachusetts, California, down to South Carolina are still raising tuition prices heading into the next fall semester. And this comes at a time when millions of students around the country are saying, well, how am I going to pay for this? You know, financial situations are a lot more tight for a lot of people. There was a new poll recently, one in six rising college freshmen are saying they're reevaluating going to college because they might not be able to afford it. And so you'd think a lot of universities would say, okay, we're just going to at least keep prices where they are now and certainly not raise them. But we've seen dozens of universities saying, well, no, we're still going to be hiking tuition rates. And, and I think the problem here is that universities are not saying, how can we cut costs? How can we find things to cut? They're saying, well, this is what it costs. You guys need to pay this. And I think that that's the wrong move. I think universities should be looking for ways to cut unnecessary spending. We've got bloated administrations where they're paying ridiculous six-figure salaries for administrative bureaucratic positions that have very little to do with education. They could be cutting things like that, cutting courses that aren't actually essential to getting a college degree. Leaner may be the, uh, the new norm uh, in the future. So how has the COVID-19 pandemic and shutdown affected the quality of education the college students are receiving online? Well, it's hard to see so far. In the short term, universities were able to transition relatively seamlessly to online learning programs because of the prevalence of technology, because so many students are already adept at using uh, online learning. They already communicate with their friends that way. So they're used to the online communication platform. So now the, the, the challenge for schools was just getting all the curriculum online. It seems like professors and administrators were able to do that relatively well. And we've actually seen a situation where a lot of college students are now saying, well, wait a second, I'm still going to get my degree. I'm still going to get all my courses. I'm still going to get that piece of paper that says I graduated. The university was able to do all of this online. Why am I paying $60,000 a year in some cases 
for all of this when I could be doing it online. And so I think that one thing we might see in the coming months and years is a explosion of the number of students that are going online as they look for ways to save money. And Cabot, many students who actually work in order to pay for their tuition and their related college expenses are jobless. Now, they can file unemployment, get an extra $600 per week. Also, as part of the CARES Act, they're supposed to get $6.3 billion in relief from their schools. But what about the colleges and universities themselves? $12.6 billion in COVID-19 relief money is going to them. Still, many are going bankrupt. Is that true? Yeah, it looks like there are some universities that are saying, look, we're losing up to 10% of our budget because we don't have students on campus. And they're trying to say they need more government money. I would think the solution is to make sure that there are ways for them to lower tuition, to cut some of the fat around their budget, and to do what average American families are doing. And that's cutting their budget down and being more efficient. Universities almost think that they're immune from, from these changes. And they don't realize that Americans, millions of American families are having to find new ways to, to save money, to be more frugal, to get by. Universities need to do that as well. And so I don't think they should be off-putting these costs on college students and, and telling them. And, and I think throwing money at these universities is not the solution either. If you just throw billions of dollars at these universities, they then have no incentive to actually lower tuition costs. They keep those same rates or even raise them in some cases and just kind of put it off on taxpayers to foot the bill. So I don't think that's the solution either. But it is interesting how a lot of students kind of sense a resentment towards their universities at times like this, where they say, well, my university charges me $112 for one textbook. And now when things start going bad financially for them, they look for me and my family to bail them out with taxpayer money. That doesn't seem fair. So I think a lot of students, a lot of American families, uh, they don't really feel too much sympathy towards universities when the schools come out and say that they're in dire financial straits. Okay, Cabot, I guess the times we're in means they'll have to change a bit, especially with more students wanting to go online and learn online. So we appreciate you. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. Cabot Phillips of Campus Reform. God bless you. Thanks, Gary. I'd like to think the best always comes out on people during a global or national crisis. How about the tireless sacrificial efforts of our frontline workers? They deserve recognition and our thanks. Take a look at this parade recently in Washtenaw County, Michigan, applauding the efforts of doctors, nurses, and other healthcare professionals at University Hospital. Heartwarming, isn't it? But if you're like me, I'm also concerned about government overreach during this pandemic. Our constitutional rights don't fly out the window simply because we're in a societal lockdown. Many of us saw a video on social media of the Philadelphia man being dragged off a city bus because he wasn't wearing a mandatory mask. Yes, folks, the man erred by not wearing a mask to protect others from infection, but maybe he didn't have access to one or couldn't afford one. But really? So we're going to use Nazi-style tactics and drag him off the bus because he's not wearing a mask? Has it come to this in America? Are we going to allow fear to overcome our sense of decency and human dignity? This reminds me of how women are treated in Iran when they don't cover their heads. More disturbing is the crackdown on churches. This is something you'd expect to happen in communist China, not right here in the United States. Police arrested Pastor Rodney Howard Brown, March 29th, for defying local social distancing orders. His arrest came after 500 church members gathered for Sunday worship at the River Church in Tampa, Florida. Elsewhere, police issued $500 tickets to attendees of drive-in church services in Greenville, Mississippi. It seems to me the only people actually at risk were the police, 
when they violated social distancing rules by handing out tickets. Well, only after First Liberty Institute threatened lawsuits did the mayor announce that the ticketed churchgoers wouldn't be required to pay the fines. That's because he knows his actions single out churches, and that won't stand up in court. Let me remind you of what the Bill of Rights says. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Well, you can't prevent Americans from assembling or from freely practicing their faith, period. No law. That includes gubernatorial safe distancing orders. Officials like Greg Abbott get it. The Texas governor recently issued an executive order stating that religious services are considered essential in the Lone Star State. Bravo, Governor Abbott, you understand that our religious rights are not to be suspended just because of a viral outbreak. It seems to me it's during a crisis like a viral pandemic when people look to Christians for answers. It's harder to find those answers and the help you need when government shuts down churches. Governments and churches should be working together to make sure the basic needs of the community are being met. Food, housing, and masks. Also, pastors, let's not put people at risk unnecessarily. In the book of John, chapter 21, verse 17, Jesus asked Peter a third time, Do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Yes, pastors, the responsibility of a loving shepherd is to protect his flock from danger. I was encouraged by this statement made by Pastor Joel Osteen during his online Easter service. Lord, I thank you right now you're raining down healing on those that need it. Lord, peace in their bodies, in their minds, in their spirits. Lord, I thank you that you're bigger than a virus and bigger than fear, bigger than anything that's trying to stop us. Yes, God is bigger than the COVID-19 virus. With his help, we shall rise up and overcome this pandemic and other troubles that we may face, collectively as a nation and in our own lives. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter. And until next time, be blessed.